I think it's really important to stand up for what you believe in. It's very easy to get convinced that you're doing something, that what you're asking for is too much or not reasonable or incorrect in some way. But I think like deep down, if we're in tune with ourselves, we know uh, when it is and when it isn't. And the worst thing is when someone convinces you not to do something and then afterwards you think, I knew I should have done that. Like, And, and it's like a moment of self-doubt when that happens, where you like drop the ball and you let someone get the better of you. Welcome to The Light Lounge, the first podcast for lighting designers, creatives, and designers who work with light. Welcome everyone to The Light Lounge. My name is Thomas. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for all the messages, notes, and the amazing feedback that I got. I'm super excited to be in touch with you. Of course, on all social media platforms, mainly on Instagram. Okay, I'm super excited as mentioned because in this week's episode, I have a very, very special guest. I speak with friend, designer, creator, artist, and just in-depth energy powerhouse Jordana Macy from Jordana Macy Design Studio, currently working from LA, but she's working on projects, I would almost say, all over the world. Jordana and I, we met a couple of years ago, and I'm super thrilled to finally have an in-depth conversation with her about her current practice, what kind of project she's working on, and how she became the person she is today. She started in photography, moved into full immersive video and sound installations that we of course talk about and then focused her work on interactive installations where people would actually interact with the pieces, with the art, with the construction at once. And then of course now the full focus on architecture to create spaces and experiences taking all of that into consideration and of course lighting plays a role as well. I'm super excited to have her on the show and uh, if I should, if, if you would ask me how can I describe Jordana the best, I would say absolutely amazing energy, always a good smile, a hearty person and the dedication to just make it happen. And if you're in New York, please go and check out her stores. A couple of her projects are in New York and you can see that the stores communicate one clear message of depth, quality and just an amazing experience. Okay, without further ado, please welcome Jordana Macy. Welcome to the show. My name is Jordana Macy. I am an individual who's currently located in Los Angeles. California, sunny California. I'm actually Australian by birth, in case you couldn't tell from the accent. I've been in the United States for about seven years. I began my creative journey early on. I come from a musical family. I grew up playing various instruments and that was my focus for many years and that I think you know the primary thing to say about that is that I, I think it instilled like a deep discipline around practice for me and as I grew up I tra I was lucky enough to travel a lot as a child my, my father always told us that travel is the best form of education. And so I was exposed to coming from a large island that's very isolated. And it, it was a nice way to kind of see what else is out there and be inspired and curious. And, you know, it definitely kick-started the, the, the intrigue and, and thirst for 
new and different experiences. And you uh, you played trumpet, right? But yeah, I played trumpet, and I I played quite seriously. And I guess that doesn't feel relevant now, except for that it did it did kind of teach me discipline, as I mentioned, and the kind of and also how to listen. Strangely, um, how to listen to how to listen very carefully and quietly to what's happening around you and be respectful of how to kind of pull back at certain moments and push forward at others, which is, you know, a large part of what being a, a member of an orchestra entails. So, so yeah, I think that like broader lessons were taught through that, through that practice, but I went on and I, I, I know that people tend to get caught up in their past. So I'll try and like keep it moving. I went on to, study photography and I was lucky enough to study at the Glasgow School of Art in Scotland and that was kind of the first time I really felt myself you know in an environment in a learning and making environment that felt very comfortable and satisfying and also in a European country where the role of the artist was not looked down upon as you know it tended to be in Australia not to say art isn't valued in Australia of course it is and more and more as the years progress so yeah being in Glasgow was was a pivotal moment for me because as I as I mentioned it was when I kind of start to started to feel at ease um, with myself as a creative person and and also with the practice of kind of choosing to prioritize um, the questioning of everything um, instead of kind of folding into a more traditional or conventional, you know, career choice. And I quickly, my practice quickly evolved from the kind of fixed frame still image to moving image and immersive surround sound to building structures in space to interactive electronics. I like, I kind of moved through a range of different disciplines till I found a place that felt meaty enough and kind of relevant to the ideas and issues that I, I found to be the most important, which of course is a highly subjective thing. So yeah, so I, so the first kind of 10 to 12 years of my adult life, I worked as an installation artist. And then as I started to make larger projects in scale and in like kind of structural and fabrication complexity, I moved, I thought, oh, architecture, this makes sense. Not having any idea actually what I was getting myself into. Um, I, I sometimes think that had I known, I probably wouldn't have done it just because it, it was such a grueling four-year experience. The study, like the introduction and kind of catch up and study of and culture around um, architectural practice. So you had your your deep inspiration in in music and discipline, developing discipline with music as like already, um, yeah, um, like an artistic way. Um, and then you, I think you didn't. At least it looks like from my perspective, you didn't give it up, right? You segued and you collected all the experiences from stepping stone to stepping stone to sort of then move further. So you had like. You are correct me if I'm wrong. Is you had for, you had um, uh, music as one big stepping stone, then started exploring photography, and then I think also continuing further than in your masters, where music became again a bigger part as sound engineering, or is this? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting that's an interesting link. I think for me because. 
You know, I was classically trained, uh, classically trained as a musician, and I started, you know, when I was five, and I I played, you know, it was a huge part of my life till I was about twenty. And I think that even I think that sound engineering for me was more more about kind of crafting, crafting and kind of honing and manipulating people's spatial experience. I mean, I I really like. I got deep into like surround sound mixing in the studio, and that was all about the relationship between sound waves and material scale, material type, architectural scale, psychological responses to to spatial experiences through sound. So, I guess you could say, you know, when I think about stuff like that, I think about a study that I did on, you know, on the topics of opera and and things like that, where the relationship between my music education and my interest in surround sound, I think, probably coalesce around psychology. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if I draw that line. It still feels a little tenuous, even though I'm sure it's all in there. I, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I think the music, the move from music was a pretty hard cut. Um, and then I think with photography began the kind of creative journey of my adult life, which was less about performing. It was less about being in front of the camera and more about like creating, like being behind and creating the things that other people could, you know, perform in. So now that you, we are at the time where you are in photography and exploring your creative side of photography in like a two-dimensional way, how did then sort of architecture came into the role? Did you photograph architectural elements or because now you are doing like a shift from 2D to 3D, how did this happen? Yeah, it's, it, in my mind, it was a pretty logical progression, but it, again, I did like I did move relatively quickly. I mean, I think it was probably a 10-year process. Ten, no, but yeah, probably around 12 years between starting photography, you know, in a more rigorous way to being where we find ourselves now. I think that the the process was kind of like I'm interested in the role of the photograph in in how it's in how it's been able to kind of you know at, at a certain time through the invention of photography how it was able to kind of totally transform socio-cultural norms in society so very interested in kind of portraiture and the idea of the identity construction the way that things are kind of built around technologies and the way that you know interpersonal relations change through these technologies and i think that that was probably as much you know the through line of the practice than anything else that that frame started to become limiting i mean i i i was at art school at a time where new media like video and sound installation was really you know coming into its own and the fixed frame felt stagnant for me it, it felt no longer as relevant as it once was to me obviously these this is very subjective um and so I moved into I did a master's I did my undergrad in photography um at the Glasgow School of Art and then I, I moved in I did a master's shortly after I did a master's in video production and sound engineering but not producing film as a lot of my colleagues were producing like n not interested in a linear storyline but more interested in the technology the tools and how you could create spaces with them so I was doing 
audiovisual installation. So it's kind of coming off the wall and into the space, not necessarily with like sculpture at that point, but with 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 waves, like getting into the space and creating things that were like larger than the body. And so that that was the that was the transition from from still to moving image and and then surround sound in relation to moving image. And then I started to want that space to become more and more immersive so I started to get into interactive electronics and writing patches um, you know digital patches to control motors and you know different things um, sensor-based work that responded to the physical body in space so that the works were activated in real time and and work became quite site specific and I guess that is where the interest in architecture initially kind of came in it was it was less about like structures or buildings it was more about space and the body and um, you know the kind of the capacity and responsibility we we have to bring awareness to what those spaces produce at a personal individual level and also at a collective like larger um, urban level what are the skills that that are needed to be able to actually affect change and and question you know cultural norms um, I, I, I was very critical at the time of um, internet-based technologies, the kind of increased interaction with the screen, um, which at that time had not infiltrated life to the degree, anywhere near to the degree that it has now. And that scared me a lot, actually. I think that was the thing I got the most fired up about was the screen. Uh, you know, everyone was like, these, these screens are amazing. I was like, no, stay away from the screen. Like, <laughs> I hated the screen. And so all the work was about getting people into their bodies. It's very interesting because now, and I'm jumping ahead here, because we started, it seems like that technology was a big part, but now in your work that you produce today, there is a very strong focus on like raw materials again and if technology used then it is very carefully sort of placed i think that at a certain point long before you and i had met i i i kind of turned my back on interactive like digital code based technologies and and kind of moved toward a fascination with like analog mechanics Things that are kinetic and interactive, but that work through without electricity. And so I kind of, I had this moment of like disjuncture, I think, between like wanting to create these, like this, like embodiment in inverted commas, um, you know, using the technologies I was critiquing in my art practice. The principles of these technologies exist in a, in a, in a, have always existed and they exist in it, the, the kind of the curiosity and charm and, and awe and kind of imagination of something that can engage with a, with a body in real time that's not human. Um, you know, the Germans, the folk, folk artisans have been making analog mechanical children's toys for you know, a very, very long time. And, and amazing really torture in... tools as well. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to go dark, thanks, Thomas. Um, I like to stay in the light most of the time. So, um, so yeah, I think that, 
you know, I, I, I feel like I'm rambling, but there was an interest in kind of looking at how to create, how to comment on these things using analog mechanics rather than digital um, interactivity. And so, yeah, I kind of moved away from that and got into things that were more tangible, tactile. This is actually the answer I think you were looking for. You know, things that were more, that kind of talk to nature and time and process and, you know, things that I felt were under threat from a broader social standpoint and cultural standpoint and things that I felt like I needed to recommit to or start to learn how to exploit and explore in a more kind of dynamic way. So, yeah, that's why the work doesn't really talk to that kind of high-tech digital space at the moment at least because I'm I'm trying to diversify I mean, materials it's, it's such a wealth it's such a large world and I just feel like such an infant and it's nice now I try with every project to utilize um, a material like strategy like you know it can either be like Venetian plaster or like tile or stone or you know like I try and like I'm trying to diversify and understand like how to work with those materials and what they bring to spaces and how they can be manipulated and and I think we can let us uh, let us let us pause here for a second because this this is something that we will definitely continue. Now we are still at a point where you try to explore the intangible elements, as we call it, light. Like coming now, sort of from from, did you move directly from Scotland to to the US or did you come? No, no, no. <laughs> 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 If only it were that simple. Um, no, I didn't. I, I went from Scotland back to Australia. I did my master's in video and sound in Australia at the College of Fine Arts, which is an art school, great art school that I'm grateful to in Sydney, Australia, where I'm from. Um, and then I worked in Australia as an artist for a few years and then I moved to Berlin, to Germany, where I did, I, I made the move to do a mentorship. I got a, I got some funding and went over to Berlin to do a mentorship with a very talented um, software designer called Mark Coniglio, who made a software called Isadora, which was one of the kind of earliest and most um, pivotal um, MIDI-based interactive patch programs that were around for many years. And Mark kind of made his mark, excuse the pun, mm. on on the art world and digital world through, um, you know, creating systems that allow for a real-time interface between a performer, a dancer, typically. He worked in, in collaboration with a dance company um, in, in, in America and Germany. So the, the, the software Isadora was really about um, creating systems where the body could control or interact with a digital system that affected audio or visual or, you know, robotic arms or what, whatever, whatever you, whatever your heart could imagine. I decided to stay in Berlin. I made, you know, formed a really strong uh, creative community there and a lot strong contact with a lot of dancers and performers. And I stayed there and kept on making work. And then 
I got a commission, a public art commission back in, in Australia, on the east coast of Australia, and it was a longer, it was a bigger build, it was a longer project, it was a 12-month project to just to get the project up and into the world and for to do that effectively because the build was quite quite complex. What was it? <laughs> it was a very large chrome spaceship. With a portal, did you know the answer to this? Uh, yeah, did. of course. <laughs> it was a it was a large a, a seven meter or eight almost eight meter wide in diameter spaceship that kind of sat, oh, I think by memory maybe four meters off the ground. It basically was an interactive commission for a big music festival in Australia called Splendor in the Grass, which I guess is kind of like Australia's version of Coachella, something like that. And they have a really interesting um, relationship to the art community in Australia because they tend to commission um, Australian artists to kind of come in and, and the program's run by a by a brilliant artist who runs, who like curates the, the show. And Craig and the team at Splendor invited me to come and build this spaceship. But it was large and it, and it was, um, you know, using technologies that I'd never, using construction technology that I'd never used. You know, I was working with vacuum forming, um, like, like industrial scale vacuum forming machines. And, you know, the work had to pack down like it needed to tour, it needed to travel. So the design was quite intricate. It was a large structure, so it had to be put together and taken apart. Um, it also had to sustain people climbing on it and um, sustain like wind loads, um, you know, through, cause it's an outdoor festival. So there were a lot of things that happened in that process that actually it left me thinking, oh goodness, I'm, I'm interfacing with some like really experienced contractors and some really experienced fabricators on an industrial level and some engineers because I don't have the education or skills to be able to kind of come up against this set of um, experience and, and knowledge um, and expertise. And how can I get that experience and knowledge and expertise? Oh, I'll study architecture. It's maybe it's a great maybe this piece is a, is a great example because it's um, I still have the image like in front of me and I think Coachella is I'm not sure if this is the right analogy. I just read that um, Kanye West was there and I think I'm not sure like it was like it's a big it's a big amazing festival and yeah Kanye I think Kanye headlined that that year I don't recall it's a bit of a blur it was a very busy stressful moment for me so it, but I think Kanye was there yeah it's a big festival it's it's I didn't know that the whole process took a year and it seems like from what you just shared that you are and of course people who know you that and the people who are listening that you are definitely not afraid of having a vision at the beginning and then just figuring it out whatever it takes and yeah. it seems like talking to talking to a lot of people that are that are part of the team that bring other expertise to the table how how did you confront and work around these challenges to sort of get people in a team to get to the vision to your piece how you wanted it If you believe in something uh, and you share that kind of enthusiasm and um, excitement and kind of dedication, commitment rather, to, to, with people that you are asking to help 
on a project or bringing on board to form a team for a project to really be the most committed, the most available, the hardest working. I, I work really hard on everything I do, you know, and and you and I think that that in a lot of ways that makes up for, you know, a lack of skill or a lack of knowledge or experience. Um, and it's also how you build those things. I think that, you know, I think that that mentality of like not being put off by not having done something before probably comes from working for over a decade as an artist where every idea is new and you've never done it before you know like that's the culture especially in installation like I I wasn't a painter I was building and making things and the systems were always new um and so this architecture or you know interiors or lighting it's no different for me I approach it in the same way and I I do think that's a cultural difference it may also be a personality thing but I think it's more than that I think it's I think I think, you know, you you study as an architect or you study as a lighting designer and you think that you can only do things one way or in a certain sequence or, you know, there's a particular hierarchy and a particular language and the right way of representing something. I've never bought into that and I think that the reason why I've been able not to is because it's not how I was trained initially. I was trained as an artist where there are no rules and there is no right way um, you're sure people tell you that there is, but it doesn't take long to work out that there isn't. What's the biggest joy in a project for you? Oh, you know, there's two things, I think, on either end of the process, I think. One is a really awesome connection with a client, which does not happen every day. Um, and that makes it even more valuable when it does happen you know when someone comes to you and they they have like deep integrity and they uh have vision in their own way and and they trust you and they and they respect the process like that's that's pretty cool when that happens i like being on site i like what i like learning from skilled contractors i like contractors that don't cut corners and that have like believe in their work product and again that's not that common but when it happens it's awesome and you know I, I like learning through like seeing things actually enter the real world space and yeah they're my two favorite things yeah I mean every project's different and again because I I work at a relatively kind of small scale you know I'm not doing like cultural institutions at this point although I'd love to and I'm not doing And I'm not doing, you know, skyscrapers. I'm doing like small houses or, you know, um, small retail spaces, bars, restaurants, you know, things that are like at more palatable. The timelines are pretty quick, you know, mm -hmm. for architecture. Um, and with that comes certain challenges and also certain, you know, benefits, I guess. But yeah, every project's different. And I think that, you know, you just want to be able to stand behind what you're producing. Uh, again, yeah, a lot of it has to do with like the initial few meetings with a, with a potential client. I think like it's pretty, you, you work out pretty quickly like whether whether you jive and you know, I'll push, I'll, I don't hold back who I am in those environments. I really just put it out on the table because you know, it's going to come through at some point and people may as well know what they're dealing with at the beginning. And you know, I think that that, that is a, that's, 
it's a tool, you know, you might lose work because of that, but then you also find people who appreciate that and those relationships are, tend to be more positive ones. So that's, that's a huge part of it is just the general kind of energy exchange in the initial meetings and the kind of tr- the transparency and clarity of the client to kind of communicate what they want, even if they don't know. You know, there's it's it's very interesting that you ways. say that because you are for me and maybe I'm putting again a subjective feeling of me in here that might be right or wrong, but you're definitely a person that knows how to, uh, and I'm used the the full term here, how to get shit done. And it seems like that there are a lot of things that develop sort of naturally for you within the process without necessarily knowing at the beginning what for example a specific detail might be in the end and is this correct that there are a lot of things because you just mentioned that there are things the client necessarily don't know what it's going to be at the beginning but you are you will make sure that sort of it will in the end it will be good Yeah, I mean, I think that's why clients come to you. <laughs> they come to you, they come to you for help, for, for your expertise. Like they don't just come to you to draft a project. Once you've done a few projects, people can see the kind of work you make. That you know, that in itself culls culls potential clients out because I I don't I I sit in a space that is heavily influenced by like in, installation art and kind of. Uh, spaces that may kind of on the surface feel more temporary and I think that that's not everyone you know often they're experimental they're like they push ideas forward around material or or kind of experience in a space and that's really not for everyone and I love the challenge of doing things that are a bit more stripped back and conservative and I and I think that as I said before like if a client comes to you and and you you can tell early on and this often happens with residential clients because it's it's their space it's a space that they have to live in and you kind of have to get inside the head of the client to give them the best outcome for them and that can be really exhausting but it can also be like deeply fulfilling I maybe have like two questions. One part would be what is what a timeline, what a usual timeline for you for a project would be. Is it more like three months? Is it more like six months? Or um, yeah, let's start with a timeline. What is like a typical timeline? What what is a timeline you like to work with? It's a great question. Listen, timelines vary so drastically depending on so many factors. I mean, primarily, I'd say the factor that messes with my process the most and and any architect I imagine is permitting not so much in New York like I mean landmarks can be a hold up it depends what you're doing but yeah permit the permitting processes definitely like can heavily affect schedules you know sometimes it's really silly things that get that that hold stuff up but I think again like talking back to the back my background in art I can get stuff up pretty quickly just because that's where I come from. Of course, it's not a skyscraper. It's like a retail interior, so let's keep things in perspective. But for example, uh, we had a shop, a retail space, a pop-up actually um, open in Soho in, in the middle of February this year. And, you know, design started in like schematic. The first pass started after Christmas. Oh, yeah. 
So like that's pretty fast, but yeah, it went up. It went up very quickly. It was what was it? It was two a two month from start to finish, and that's that shop has been. That's now that was going to be a three month pop up. I think it's now extended to ten. Oh, or twelve wow. months that they're 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 keeping it open. So we'll do we you know we'll get in there and do some refreshes just for the because it's a pop up and you can. But yeah, that's pretty quick. Then you know I have a I have a residential project that I've been working on for quite some time, like probably two and a half years or something. Okay. You know, and and you know that's not solid work that you know that that goes in waves as a, as I know you know. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of dead time in there, time when things are getting permitted or or revisions are being made and then resubmitted. And you know, there's issues like asbestos, and you know, there are things that that delay things. How does a when I say okay, I hey Jordana, I have a one studio apartment in New York, and we have budget X. How do you how do you start a typical project? I say you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything for that much money. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I that has been said. Um, but yeah, no, I think. Listen, I think again, it varies. It depends on like how long something needs to be up. Obviously, you know the buildability of something and the kind of the the integrity structurally or you know f f as far as finishes go of something that's temperate like something like a pop-up is much less crucial than something that people want to live in for the next 20 years yeah um you know um and so that all affects budget and timeline and things like that you know i i generally now at the scale i'm working at i've done enough projects now where if someone tells me what they want to do I, I, I know how much roughly that's going to cost. And now that I'm on the West Coast as opposed to on the East Coast and I'm working in California as well as in New York, New York State, you know, the different, you know, it's very different to build in Los Angeles than it is to build in San Francisco than it is to build in Los Angeles, uh, in New York. So, right. and rural like Northern California where, where there's projects in, in these places and the process is actually, even though it's weirdly similar, it's also like vastly different. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you, do you try to have a style or maybe style is the wrong word, do you try to find like a line in each individual project that you try to give it like a, like a specific Jordana language? Maybe that's the wrong word, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't... N not strategically. Um, I think that, you know, you are who you are. I, I think the benefit of, of being such a small studio at this point, or I don't know if it's the benefit, but one of the things that makes the question you're asking more easy to answer is that there aren't many hands in the work at the moment from a design perspective. And so, and I, I'm, st I'm the person that I am and like, you know, so what I produce it always talks to who I am, you know, on a, on a basic level. Is it more strategic than that? Not at all. I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you what my style is. I think what I will say is what I've said already earlier, which is that, you know, it's hard for me to separate art or like the influence of installation and kind of more immersive environments from the way I think about space. And I think that comes through in the style You know, that also comes through much less in a residential project than it does in a concept store for a retailer. 
because of what the program is. Right. So, yeah, I don't think that I consciously try and like stylize the out the outcome um, unless I'm working on with a repeat client where I'm trying to help formulate a brand identity where like some kind of cohesion is crucial to the brand identity being read in the physical space. And I think that also the what you mentioned at the beginning, the, your 120% and even like every little tiny detail is just already has like a um, specific signature, I think, to each project. When I just think about the wardrobe project, like how the how the little tiny hole in the mirror in this super large mirror and like the like the the metal rod goes in there it's absolutely um, i'm so glad <laughs> you noticed that it's it's <laughs> it's seriously unbelievable that like even in such a short time or maybe just especially in sh such a short time that this is uh, that it turned out as it turned out because it still is within a given time frame and within a given budget but when you pay attention to it, you can tell that it has a very, very high quality. That's kind. I mean, I have to say at that point, you know, like the, I couldn't have done that project as quickly as I did without the team that worked on it. And that, that was KNS um, constructions. And I, and those guys, you know, Sam and Tim, I've worked with a number of times and we have a, a very fluid and kind of high functioning work relationship. And they also know I'm crazy. <laughs> so, They they, they kind of know, they know what they're walking into and they know that, you know, special attention is going to be paid to things that to them they think are insane, but they do it because they know if they don't, I will never stop hassling them. <laughs> so, so they, so, you know, there's a certain level of understanding with the team on, on projects. And, and, and I think in, that's a really good example because of how fast it went up. I don't think you know, at this point, at this early stage in my career, I don't think that there are many, probably there's no other team I could have pulled that together with that quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. And maybe that's the following question is maybe just because of me, my fascination for you and my completely admiration, but also great respect is, is there a moment where you think, okay, now I'm completely, I'm, I'm over the top and this is, too much I, i i put there's a lot of energy i just have a i your level of energy and i'm just sitting here and my mouth is just open and i'm just like how does she do it how does she pull it off and are there moments where you think okay now i need to relax and i have put my ambitions too high um that's that's a tricky one i mean i don't think i think that i No, I don't, I definitely need to relax for sure. Like I definitely take time out a lot. Like I, in my process, I have a lot of downtime. I mean, I'm a, I'm an epic procrastinator. Like I, I, I really spend a lot of time doing nothing, but, and I, I need that time to kind of reconstitute and, and fire up for the times where I don't stop. And that, and, and that again, I think comes from art. Like that's the process, you know, it's never, It's not a regular schedule. I, I have never, as like in my adult life, I've never operated on a regular schedule except for the two years I was at Dillis Cafeti on Renfro. And that was very challenging for me. And that, and that was challenging because it was so structured and it was structured in every way. Um, 
and it was also very fulfilling um, and I learned a lot, but I, but um, that format is not where I operate most efficiently. So, and I, I knew that going in, but it was, it was a great opportunity and, um, and it was worthwhile pursuing, but it's definitely, the answer is no. I think that I have a keen sense of like my own boundaries, you know, like how far I can push myself. I think where I, where I have overstepped and what is a continual lesson, <clears throat> excuse me, what is a continual lesson for me is being respectful of other people's boundaries you know, some people you can push harder than others and some people push back harder than others. And, and that's a, that's like a dance. And, you know, sometimes I go too far for sure. And I, and, and in those moments, there's like deep shame and, 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 and an immediate recognition with the parties involved that, okay, that I, I went too far there. Sorry guys, you know, like let's pull it back in. That was, you know, like I, 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 I try to be honest, um, like with myself and with the people that I'm engaging with, you know, sometimes if, if you're fired up about something, you can, you, it's not so difficult to step a little over the line. But again, I think what's interesting are the people that I've had those experience with are the people that I work with the most, like in an ongoing way. Yeah. So, you know, whether that be contractors or clients, like the ones that, that where it's gotten the most kind of real and honest and <clears throat> kind of emotional, they're the ones that, that I actually am building like ongoing relationships with. So as you are, it seems like that, of course, as much as you are hands on in, in your, in your practice and on your projects, where do you where would you like to see this develop do you just enjoy the process of being completely hands-on immersed in on all levels in each project or can you imagine to potentially get some people as your sort of personal team or as like a practice where you say okay i try to scale it a little bit or are you just in love with the details and the quality of each project and connection mm -hmm. I mean, listen, I already have people that I work with project to project, depending on our schedule, just because there's too much work to be across everything all the time. And, you know, like, I guess that to answer that question effectively, I'd need to like come clean, which I'm happy to do around like my my kind of fears and concerns around the traditional format of, of like the studio architectural studio space, um, which I don't think is a very functional or at least not for people like me. It's not a very functional um, or like nurturing or productive space. And I have like some deep resistance personally around implementing that same structure um, or reproducing that same culture. I don't know how to change it. That's something that I'm grappling with. And it's one of the reasons why I have stayed very small. I mean, obviously, also, like, I don't have massive jobs coming in, but um, I have more work coming in that I'm taking. And I, I think that, you know, like... I have I have questions around that model and I'm trying to work out how to produce a different model in an effective way. And I think I can talk to, um, you know, like I have my own small studio that, you know, I, I was listening to our dear colleagues and friends um, 
Alex and Francesca on one of your podcasts mm-hmm. and I was listening to them talk about how they named their new fabulous studio, which is not that new anymore, but still fabulous. And I thought to myself, God, like I definitely didn't have a long list of names. I Everything I came up with felt so contrived. Everything I came up that, with that wasn't my own name felt so contrived and I, I was like desperate to not work under my own name because I felt conflicted around what the studio will become you know and mm-hmm. not wanting to set up a not wanting to set up an unbalanced kind of hierarchy mm-hmm. but to be honest like it feels more honest to work under my name because that's who I am and it's what I do than like to kind of put some kind of clever trendy like name together for me it just I couldn't come up with anything that felt right and then just like Alex and Francesca said, like you get to the point where you just have to set up the LLC, like you just have to put in the paperwork and then you're like, oh God, like I guess this will have to do. So, um, you know, but the, the concerns that underpin like the naming conversation, which is like, how do you set up something truly democratic and lateral? How do you not remove the creative voices of the people that are working with you, um, even if they're working on projects that you've you've brought in and like trying to realize a vision that you're driving um like how how do you how do you do that and i'm not sure i'm not sure what the answer is but what i will say is i have set up what the way the way it's starting to formulate for me and who knows how it will unfold because it's early days is there are different kinds of types of collaborations that i'm interested in Um, You know, collaboration is such a beautiful thing. Like I love working on my own. Like I I have a strong kind of soul voice and I like to use it. Um, But I also feel super like blessed and inspired by people who like round out my skill sets or like travel or, or challenge me to think about things in new and different ways or you know, I just am totally confused by the way their brain operates, but like to the point where I want to work with them so that I can better understand, you know, like whatever it is, like there's so many people um, that I've been lucky enough to come into contact with who I do want to work with. And the way that started to manifest is, you know, like we, I have my, this small studio, JMDS, which is like my, the studio under my name. And then I also have a studio called Social Studios with a colleague called Joe Gast, who I met at Parsons and studied architecture with, Um, you know, and Joe's like a fabulously talented architect who's interested in like sustainable systems and like passive house um, building, which are very different to the kind of work that I am currently doing. Um, And, you know, we've teamed up and and Social Studios is exactly that. It's a a studio that takes on um, projects that deal with social impact. So, you know, NGO clients, like the the project that we're focused on at the moment is a um, community center and, um, you know, affordable housing village to um, house the chronically homeless in Nevada City, which is a small city up on the border of um, California and Nevada. And, you know, we're we're doing that together and that's been a really beautiful process because what what you produce working with someone is vastly different to what you'd produce working on your own. And I really get a lot out of that. So I think in answer, the long answer to your short question is that I think for me, one model that is interesting is like a series of collaborations that are ongoing where the work that's produced builds its own language and it's a and it's a kind of product of the people who are involved in that team 
um, and the way the kind of broader body of work unfolds as far as like what I have a hand in would just be through like trying to build like recurring collaborative relationships with like a, with a number of talented makers um, and that's kind of where I'm going at the moment. And and that seems like also a very promising model because like the way how work is now being structured, it seems like that it's playing into sort of your hands. I mean, it's not what you describe is not completely out of out of the blue or out of the reach, right? Because it is happening, right? That people very modular and teams in companies that are. I don't want to say, yeah, maybe smart enough that things that the world is just changing and that paying attention to indiv the individual characters and individual qualities is, can unlock potential that is in the model that we talked before about ne not necessarily like even surfaced or not even tapped in. Yeah, Def there's definitely a lot of missed opportunities in 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 the traditional formats, I think. But um, you know, they're tried and tested, and they work. They work for the principals um, who are who are running those company, who are you know founded and kind of built those philosophies. And 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 that there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not a model that I found productive for myself, and therefore I don't want to reproduce it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I of course, I of course, um, I'm I'm I was just so captured with your I I need to I, I I had so many so many so many more questions. <laughs> maybe maybe a hard or challenging one to get wisdom out of you, and maybe it doesn't lead anywhere. But what were what are challenging what were challenging moments in your in your career so far where you thought wow, where you made like a turn. And you explored. The, it seems like, and let me let me explain sort of my thought behind it. Is that it seems like you, you everything, and I have on my screen written a quote: um, "Nobody remembers normal." And when I think about you, nothing is normal about you because you're just so special. And it feels like that you're you, such a you're such a and, sweet talker. And you are, <laughs> and you are. It's it feels like what I'm challenging with, and probably a lot of people, other people in the world as well, is sort of to try and find your your real self. Do you feel like you have found your real self? No, I mean, yes and no. I think that I, you know, I hope to never find her, it, them. <laughs> I like, you know, like I don't, I don't, I'm not striving to find that specifically. I think that one thing, you know, a difficult, I think the most difficult feeling for me, I'll, I'll answer the question you asked first, which is like, have there been challenges that have, you know, been difficult and how have you overcome them? And I think, you know, straight up, I'd say time, you know, like sometimes I've, I've come into like deep anxiety and restlessness around like what I'm doing with my life and whether it's whether it's, you know, productive enough. And I don't mean that from what, what people probably who know me might assume, which is like from an ambitious standpoint, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like actually contributing in a way that's real and lasting to people's lives and to environments that people operate in. You know, like it's fun to do cool stores um, and I enjoy that. That feeds a side of me, but, you know, it is what it is. I think in art... When personally, when I was working as an artist, what drove the practice was ideas. Um, 
you know, I think it's harder in a commercial industry where you where you're working commercially primarily, and I think that that's why there's such a strong divide in many ways between commercial practices and like academic practices in architecture and design. Um, you know, the academic practice facilitates and nurtures like research and curiosity and kind of experimentation and 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 um, you know and concept and history. And I'm not saying that commercial practice can't do that. Of course, the best ones do, but but it is a different kind of set of rules and a different um, time frame and a different kind of set of parameters and a different. Um, you know, hierarchy um, of relation um, working commercially. And I think that, you know, the dream would be to um, build out like the academic practice, teach, um, you know, make make space and prioritize um, space for ideas and exchange. And I've been lucky enough to do, like I, I do a lot of, um, you know, studio visits and things like that, crits. But, um, you know, I definitely want to, like, invest time and energy into, like, building out the ideas behind behind the practice um, because I think that that's kind of where the magic happens in, in many respects. It's hard, especially on on schedule, to, to um, incorporate, like, research and, like, ri- like, rigorous research and development and play into something that's operating on a commercial timeline. So... Yeah, I think like there's a there, and for me like deep anxiety comes from not being able to fulfill those those needs because you know I'm not in this game for money although I wouldn't mind getting paid more guys you know but I you know like for me it's it's about kind of the 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 satisfaction and interest of like growing your your worldview and your kind of worldliness. I definitely don't know who I am or who I want to be, but I definitely think that like the strategies that I want to employ to try and get closer to feeling more whole are are kind of starting to reveal themselves. It because that was a very long answer, that's, sorry. That's totally fine. Because it seems it seems like and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like that you are that you love the exploration but it seems already that you have in what we talked about before that you already have a good understanding what works for you and what sort of doesn't work for you that there are some parameters that are better for for you being productive and effective than others what is already good a good understanding so as you are um, as you mentioned you sit in crits and in in other teaching environments are there advices lessons that come up again that you can give potential for listeners where you say guys travel as it was told to me to see more of the world is there yeah i mean i think that you know i think that you, you know the world at least my world revolves around relationships um, like m- I think most people would agree with that, you know, perhaps, you know, different people put different levels of emphasis on that. Um, and I mean like real, real relationships, like opportunities for exchange, um, you know, critical, critical, critical relationships that kind of call you out on, on things that you don't do well or that you, um, need to work on like on a on a range of levels not just from design but also you know so much of the job is interfacing with 
with clients and and you know members of a team you know like i'm constantly i think that be respectful and and listen and and also like stand up for what you think is right very easy to be bullied especially not to play the gender card and i know this is changing and we're very lucky to live when we live but you know on a building site it's tough being a, a girl and I think that, you know, a lot of my fierceness or what like people kind of call like fierceness in me has come from learning how to play in that in that context. You know, it's a double-edged sword, but I think it's really important to stand up for what you believe in. It's very easy to get convinced that you're doing something that what you're asking for is too much or not reasonable or incorrect in some way but I think like deep down if we're in tune with ourselves we know uh, when it is and when it isn't and the worst thing is when someone convinces you not to do something and then afterwards you think I knew I should have done that you know like and and it's like a moment of self-doubt when that happens where you like drop the ball and you let someone get the better of you you know and I think that you know you get better at that with experience when, when to fight and when to kind of when to kind of roll over. But I think, yeah, trust yourself would be advice. I think don't listen to anyone who tells you you can't do anything because they just wouldn't do it themselves. Doesn't mean it can't be done. And I think that, yeah, like like communicate openly and honestly with people about what, what you're into. And like things tend to just kind of roll out from there. Jordana, that was a, a perfect word for for the beautiful end of our conversation i'm looking forward to many conversations in the future and i thank you so much for your time for wor for your words and your yeah just your i think your wisdom i want to say it for your wisdom because you're definitely a source of inspiration and your energy and your work and quality is just absolutely amazing and yes i'm a sweet talker but i don't <laughs> give comp but i don't give compliments for to anyone and you just have my highest um respect and definitely recommendation to anyone who's looking for an amazing designer thank you so much for your time thanks for having me Dear Lighting Designers, thank you so much for listening all the way through and to this amazing conversation with the fantastic Jordana Macy. In the meantime, she actually has some job offerings on her website, jordanamacy.com, if you are looking to make a change and to work for a very, very special person and a very special company. Please check out the offerings she has posted on her website, jordanamacy.com. And of course, if you are a client, a designer, and you would like to get in touch with her, of course, through the website as well. And of course, on Instagram, jmds, or directly to her email address, info at jordanamacy.com. Okay, um, yeah, that was it for this week's Light Lounge. Um, I, of course, am super excited to hear from you and to get to know your story. Um, if you are... For example, in Albuquerque in a week for the IALD conference in Albuquerque, um, I will be speaking at one of the stages and I'm really excited to see you there. So if you should be there, please don't be shy to say hi. I'm very excited to see you there. And that is it for this week's Light Lounge. Um, yeah, what can I say? Head over and check out all the other episodes. And I'm very excited to hear and see you soon. And so long as always, I wish you a beautiful time. Stay lit.